Good morning and welcome to Wednesday morning, October the 18th in 2023 on When I Rise. Today we continue year A, proper week 24, which is the 21st Sunday after Pentecost. And on the Wednesday of the week, we like to try to pick up one of the extra passages that accompany the other official passages in this week in the Revised Common Lectionary and this week of the church's calendar year. And so a lot like last week, there's an extra Isaiah passage, such a large book, right? We got to get to it. So Isaiah chapter 45, verses 1 through 7. Let me read that passage, provide a couple points for reflection, and then we'll spend our time praying along the theme that we find there. Thanks for making us party in the morning on When I Rise. Let's allow our souls to rise and meet God together in a time of prayer. Isaiah chapter 45, verses 1 through 7. This is what the Lord says to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I take hold of, to subdue nations before him, and to strip kings of their armor, to open up doors before him, so that gates will not be shut. I will go before you and level the mountains. I will break down gates of bronze and cut through bars of iron. I will give you hidden treasures, riches stored in secret places, so that you may know that I am the Lord, the God of Israel, who summons you by name. For the sake of Jacob, my servant, of Israel, I'm chosen. my chosen. I summon you by name and bestow on you a title of honor, though you do not acknowledge me. I am the Lord and there is no other. Apart from me, there is no other God. I will strengthen you, though you have not acknowledged me, so that from the rising of the sun to the place of its setting, people may know there is none besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. I form the light and create darkness. I bring prosperity and create disaster. I, the Lord, do all these things. This is the word of God for us. All right, so some interesting things in this passage and maybe a word of caution as we read a passage like this. So this is a unique thing. There's a couple of unique features um, in these seven or eight verses of Isaiah 45. This does seem to be a key change in the symphony of Isaiah. And uh, there's this tying into some themes that we saw um, a little bit earlier in chapter uh, 44, towards the end of it. There's this mention of this Cyrus uh, person who's the king of the Assyrian Persians. And he's an outsider king and uh, has been very successful and in a mystery, God's going to use an outsider king to help further God's own plans with his covenant people, Israel. Okay, And uh, when we have other outside sources like the, the cylinder of Cyrus and other things like that, and we look at some of the other worship language of um, the other Mesopotamian countries and, and peoples, uh, like the worship of Marduk and others, we see that there are some similarities with Isaiah 45 and some of these extra sources. So this is a dilemma, right? Uh, so for the for the dogged, um, Isra- faithful Israelite insider, uh, this would have been a stunning proclamation. Uh, they, they would have had, like, their mind would have been blown. Like, how is God going to use a foreigner king and actually ascribe to him smaller M Messiah type of status, the anointed one, right? Uh, what shall we say about this? Has God abandoned Israel and has God mapped his covenant making and covenant keeping priorities onto the Assyrian Persians? 
or um, is this uh, something that's just episodic and situational? So it just seems in a mystery, um, God is going to use uh, what's happening in a different geopolitical entity to establish his purposes. So what's it, what's embedded in this? The, I mean, the idea that um, God's the God of all creation, and so what happens in Israel is inside God's purview, but also what happens outside is in God's purview. Uh, there's a passage in later Amos, the, one of the minor prophets. Amos talks about how the same thing that God did for Israel and delivering them from Egypt, uh, he did for you know different people groups like the Philistines and the Arameans, and so there's a sense uh, where there's like this broadening vision of what this God is up to in the world. God is not just solely concerned with this one corner of the planet. God is also involved among the other peoples and nations, right? And the second thing that's um, that's startling about this passage is just how clear the monotheism is, right? Um, we see in verse 5, it says, I'm the Lord and there is no other apart from me. There is no God I will strengthen you that you have not acknowledged me so that from the rising of the sun to the place of its setting, people may know that there's none besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. Okay. So we have this very straightforward, uh, we call it monotheistic confession that there is no other God. So even though Cyrus, you know, claims to be hand in hand with Marduk and the polytheistic uh, array of gods from his community, in a mystery, God is going to use this king who doesn't really believe in Yahweh uh, to do Yahweh's purposes. And then Yahweh is going to say, and all those gods that Cyrus claims to worship and have like the backing of, um, well, I hate to break it to you, Cyrus, but um, it's, it's false. And it's going to be unveiled before you that uh, your time is going to come to an end. And uh, that the only true God is the one that uh, the, the people of Israel worship, right? And we, we've talked before on Winter Eyes podcast, uh, just a plain Bible reading, devotionally, day by day, through the Bible. You're going to bump into some interesting passages where there's th- talks about multiple gods or among the gods, or even in the list of the Ten Commandments, you shall make no other gods before me. So you just suggest, presuppose that there could be opportunities for other gods to exist, right? Um, when Moses is being... Uh, mobilized to go back to Egypt after being hiding with Jethro and the Midianites. God says, I'm going to go wage war on the gods of Egypt. So like even from the mouth of God, like there's this mention of other gods. So as Bible readers, we just grapple with this, like how in one place there seems very plain reading says that there could be several gods. And then there's the command not to worship those other gods, but to worship God alone, a perspective that we call monolatry of, yes, there might be other gods, but we're going to worship this one God alone and serve him alone, right? And then you've got here in later Isaiah, this rather direct confession. No, there's no other gods. There wasn't any before or beside me. There's not going to be any after me. I alone create the light and create the darkness. I bring prosperity and create disaster. I, the Lord, do all these things, right? So that's just a, something to grapple with there. What about the caution? There's a caution uh, embedded in here. I think some folks who um, they're like reading, you know, the Bible, trying to study the Bible in their faith and trying to deepen their faith. And for those who have a maybe a greater interest than others in geopolitical headlines today, they might find some comfort in a place like Isaiah 55 and say, well, if God could use that rascal Cyrus back in the day, then maybe like our standards for leaders in my certain political party or this political race 
Like maybe they don't have to be as high as I would like in order for me to believe that God could use this character, this person, this politician, that I'm trying to find some sort of a justification uh, to vote for and to back and to support without reservation. Listen, whatever you do with your politics is up to you. Absolutely. Um, I would just admonish us to say, hey, read our Bibles, read our newspapers, keep our brains on, take it to prayer. And ultimately, we need to have a hermeneutic as we uh, interpret the scripture text, right? Hermeneutic is simply an interpretation tool. It comes from the Greek god, Greek god of Hermes, which is the god of messages and the god of war, unfortunately. Those two things. Imagine that being the god of messages and the god of war. Um, but hermeneutics is the science of inter- interpreting ancient scriptures, ancient texts, ancient literature. And the Bible is a big book. Uh, it covers many topics over many, you know, many years and and uh, many different communities, many different world events are happening. Uh, a few languages are included in its original manuscripts. Okay, so when we try to make sense of how all of it works together in a unity, like how does all of the, how do all of these books hold together to be one book that the faithful reads and studies and prays over and preaches and teaches, so that we can merge into the people of God? Like we have to have some sort of a way to interpret and to sift some of these things. And I would hope as Christians that our hermeneutic is primarily Jesus. I love what Karl Barth said. He said, there are three words of God. There's the word of God, Christ. Christ is the word according to John 1. Then there is the word of God written in the scripture text. Then there's the word of God preached, preached to the community. And in Karl Barth's mind, Jesus, the word supersedes the other. And so I hope that as Christians, those who follow the way of Jesus, we can look at any passage, Old and New Testament, and say, okay, in light of Jesus, how do I examine this passage? I think with that hermeneutic in mind, we would say it may have been a favorable thing, an advantageous thing for God to use Cyrus in the, you know, what is it, 8th, 7th, 6th centuries BC. But now that Christ has come, like, isn't Christ the better model of what a leader looks like? And so instead of wishing for a lesser leader, someone who just, you know, no matter how they act or conduct themselves, as long as they get the things done that I want them to get done, why does it matter? I mean, if you want to believe that, that's fine. But I just think there's a conflict in the deeper commitments of our faith. And so instead, like, shouldn't we set the, the standard higher? Should we say, actually, we're Christian. And so which of these leaders best animates the historic, comprehensive core of what it means to be Christian in the earth today. I just humbly submit that, that that should be worth considering in light of any passage, including a passage where God decides in God's own wisdom to use Cyrus at a given moment. It does not mean this is a prescription for all times. All right, I've uh, gone over my time here, obviously, and uh, it's time for us to pray. So there's a lot to sort out here. So let's spend some time praying to our God this morning. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you today that you're the God that we could trust. In the days of Isaiah, when there was so much going on geopolitically, the people of God must have felt like things were out of their control that they were being put under the foot of empire and they were being whisked away against their will, um, taken into captivity. And 
probably had a lot of questions, uh, soul searching about what it meant to be your people and where were you in a situation like that. And so we thank you that our passage this morning highlights an idea of how you're always at work. You're always present. You're always near. At times, we do not know what to expect. And sometimes it's ways in which we haven't seen you work before. But what is common and what is true is that you're the, the faithful and kind God who seeks to bind up his people and to bring us to a place of peace and to allow your ways to be established in the earth. And so God, this day, we exist, we admit, in chaotic times. Uh, there seems to be many different solutions being offered up as a way to get out of some of the plight that we're in. And so we thank you that uh, we don't have to make up something on our own, but we can trust in a God who's always at work and who's always speaking. So Holy Spirit, we pray that you'd speak to us as your people, that you would speak to the church, that you'd allow us to be a voice calling from the wilderness, and that people would heed your words, and that they would follow um, the path all the way into your light so they could be saved, redeemed, and healed and whole. And may we see your kingdom come and your will be done. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.